You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. All right. It's just one game, and I promised everybody on Friday that I wouldn't make too much out of the week one results. So I'm going to try to stick to my promise. Redskins 32-27 to losers in the opener at Philadelphia. Christopher Cooley is with us to start the show today. He was there. He was on the call. Um, let's do sort of – you want to do our game take together and go back and forth like we used to? Uh, yeah, you've already had some practice this morning. I huh? have. Did you listen? I, I did listen for a while driving in. So. Okay. Um, all right, well, let's get, to, let's get to the game take. Pay attention. Here's Kevin's, Kevin's game take. And Cooley's game take together uh, here on the Kevin Sheehan <laughs> Show podcast. <laughs> I mean, we can create a new open if, you, if you'll be with me every Monday following the games. Um, oh, and Cooley's game take. Oh, no, just, overall. You know if, whenever I come on, just let me chime that in next time. Yeah, okay. You, you get to do it next time. Um Overall, like what? What did you like? I, I actually want to start with this before we get into you know what we liked and what we didn't like, or your uhs and ums. Um, were you oh, yeah. as shocked as I was with the pass offense in the first half? I was shocked with as good as Case was in the first half, and as well as they protected Case in the first half. And I was pleased that a lot of the play action I thought mirrored some of the run stuff that they do, as opposed to stretch zone play action, which they never run. So I thought they did a pretty good job matching those up and putting those together. I thought they had really good balance in the first half. You know, I, I liked the way it, it was scripted out. Everything looked the same. Uh, formationally, motion-wise, they were messing with the Eagles' defense. I don't think Philly had any idea of, of really what was coming. And then they made some plays, you know. They, they overcame some things in some situations that in the past they haven't. They had third-down conversions. You know, they had a couple big plays. So yeah, I was. It's the first game, but it's also the first look at Terry McLaurin or Kelvin Harmon. For the most part, you haven't seen much of Trey Quinn and Paul Richardson's been hurt, and they all look really, really good. So I was impressed by that. Yeah, I mean, the so the, that's where I would start overall. I would just start with just their their pass offense as a whole. You know, in the first half, I, I don't think we saw anything like we saw in the first half last year at any point receivers running wide open getting separation stretching the field with speed I mean this is the first time really we've had a chance to see McLaurin in a game and his defense his his speed is going to make defenses really worry and then Richardson can run and Vernon is just incredible after the catch as he's always been and Quinn seems to be a difficult cover in the slot Harmon was out there for 15 16 snaps and had two three catches in the game. Thompson out of the backfield, and then Case Cooley really looked decisive. Like, the ball was coming out quickly. It seemed like he had it all figured out as to where it should go. And, you know, people can look at the second half. They had three possessions before that final possession, and they had a deep bomb wide open to McLaurin that Keenum overthrew. And then they had some drop balls and some penalties. Other than that, I thought the second half, you know, was a matter of, you know, not having it enough and just missing on a couple of things that could have kept drives going and could have ended up, you know, producing another productive half. Overall, I was blown away, and I know it's just the opener, but I was really encouraged by 
the overall offensive pass attack and how aggressive they were too. I love I loved that part of the game yesterday. No, I love that part of the game, and it's not like they lost that aggressive nature. Agreed. They came out and took a shot in the in the second half. Not the first the first drive they had a run to guys, and I think they had a false start by Moses, and then. You have a try to get a draw to guys. I would probably would have put in Chris Thompson around the draw right there. And Fletcher Cox blows it up in the backfield, and you're done with your drive. Right. The next drive, they take that deep shot to McLaurin. He's wide open, man. And you're down at that point. Like, here's the crazy thing, right? You, you finish end of half, because we're going to get to the defense, I'm sure. Yeah. You're up 20 to 7. You have run three plays on offense before you're down 21 to 20. Exactly. Yeah. Three plays. And now you're down twenty to twenty. So don't like let's not pretend they weren't aggressive. And then they took a shot to Terry McLaurin and missed it. And you know, you had a couple a couple penalties on the third drive that I think really hurt you. <laughs> I don't know what to say. You know, you you had a chop block called on the backside of a toss away that the most erroneous call of all time on that fourth on that third drive and they had a first down run on that. So you're saying the chop block was a bad call? Chris Thompson, and then uh, I don't know. I haven't fully looked at it, but I will promise you this: that block, if it was illegal, it's illegal. It's personal. I get that, but that block had zero impact on that play. It was the backside tackle and guard away from toss away. There's no chance that now, there was a hold on that call to, on that play too. There was there two was a call by more. Uh, yeah, and I talked to Morgan about it, and he said the guy that it was a call out. Way he pulled, and he was out in front of the run. Said the guy that fell down got up and said, "Man, that was bull. <laughs> they gave you one there. They gave us one there." That's what Morgan said. The guy said to him, "Look, the, so the holdings. And there was a hold early in the game on Morgan that was insane. That was not a good call. There was a hold late on Donald Penn where he's standing out in the middle of the field next to the official, pointing at the jumbotron. Like, look at the jumbotron. Watch the replay. There's no way it's holding. So we're. You can talk about cleaning up the penalties." But we're getting targeted. Our players are currently being targeted what? for holding penalties. The first hold on Morgan, not a hold. No way. The, the couple ones, I didn't. I haven't seen the one close enough with uh, seventy-seven. Our, come on, the flowers. Flowers. I haven't seen that one close enough. I'm going to sit down and watch a lot of the film. But some of the holds were bad. And by the way, they got a touchdown called back that was a hold that wasn't a hold where Josh Norman flopped. So it's not. It wasn't just us, but. Well, hold on. For I don't a know. You I'm, said they're being targeted. What do you mean by that? Come on, they're not being targeted. Yeah, no. There's no way. We led the league in holds last year. There were holds called that were, shouldn't have been holds. We got holds called in this game. Look, I'm gonna. I'm not. I'm gonna tell you if it's a hold, Kev. You know, I'm not gonna lie to you. A couple of those weren't holds. So, we get more than anybody else, and we're calling penalties that aren't penalties. I don't know. Did we lead the league last they, year? You know. In- you know. The, did yeah. we, lead, we we led the league last year in holding holding penalties, and false start penalties. Really? <laughs> yeah. If we didn't lead the league, we were we were second. Yeah, we led the league going into the last couple of games. Really? Think of last year, all the holds called. Like the, there were holds where Brandon Sheriff's pancaking people twenty yards downfield, and they're calling holds on screen. Crazy. Yeah, I mean, I I, you're, you're not talking now, so I know you're typing. So. No, 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 no. I, I am looking for the last year's numbers. Um, and the Redskins tied for the lead with the Colts for most holds. Wah, wah. Chris was right. Yeah. 
Okay, well... Yeah, and, and Morgan Moses last year led the league in penalties. Yes, so I knew that. The other thing when, here's the other thing when you look at that. Those officials make cut-ups of all the things they're calling. When you're leading the league in penalties, you're on that cut-up tape. And so now every official that's watching that cut-up tape is going, man, that's 76 for the Redskins, a holder. He hold, we can call him anytime we want. He'll hold. Morgan Moses last year, 14 penalties to lead the league. Two, by the way, he had uh, on him that were declined. Eight were holding, seven were false start. I, I would suggest to you, unless you, you're going to tell me that all 14 were bad calls, that at some point, if he's not accountable and he's not made accountable and there's no discipline, if it, meaning he doesn't play, that someone else gets a shot, well, that's coaching. I'll show you the holds. I mean, you can say accountable if you want to say accountable, or you can say he's doing his job and someone's making a bad call. Whatever you want to say there. You know what? I don't want to get bogged down in this because what started this conversation was a point you were making, which is a good one, which is this notion that somehow Jay Gruden got conservative or didn't try to run the ball or the offense fell apart in the second half after having a really good first half is just wrong. That's not what happened. They had three opportunities with the ball before the final drive, and on the first one there, there, there was a false start. Uh, and that first drive did not go anywhere. Go anywhere, and you, and you can say, all right, the first drive, t- you know, uh, they they didn't they didn't gain any yards. They were in a third and twenty situation after the false start and the and the in the uh, draw run to Geis. But the second drive, they take the bomb shot to McLaurin, which is the absolute single play in the game that could have changed the outcome. I'm not saying it would have. It certainly would have changed the context of the game. It Had, would have 100% been 26-21 to 21 if he makes that catch. Minimum. And he got a chance to go for two. Right. And, and whether or not he would have or not with five minutes to go in the third quarter, who knows. And then on the third drive, they had, you know, the chop block and the holding, you know, the chop block was enforced, and they're, you know, all of a sudden behind the chains there. Um, by the way, after throwing the ball on first down and picking up the first down on the on the play that they got the penalty on anyway. So that that leads us to this, um, you know, and, and we can come back to the, to the offense in a second. In my view – they lost the game because their defense was god awful, and especially in the second half. I know in the first half, you know, they got stops. I don't know how much that was Philadelphia rust. I don't know how much that was, you know, John Allen being in the game for some of that. But in the second half, Philadelphia scored on every single possession, had 302 yards of offense, and scored 25 points, and went eight for ten on third down. Four of those being third and longs. Yeah, they got gashed, and, and I don't know if the first half was dynamically better. They just found ways to get off the field. Like the first drive where they call a penalty on Deshaun Jackson, on which would have been a third and two, and based on the outcome of third and twos throughout the day, there's no way we were stopping them on third and two. Uh, that could have just as well went on Dunbar, and then they have a third and 17, you get off the field. The next drive, they end up going 12 plays all the way down the field. They call that little draw play on third, and you know you're going to go for it on fourth, so you're fine. And then we get a batted ball on fourth and two. You get off the field. Durant, we were getting the, they were moving the ball against us. We never had pressure. We never created turnovers, and we didn't, in my opinion, make proper adjustments after John went out and you started getting gashed. Yeah, you can say they're going nickel and we're going to go four down, and I, I'm fine with that. But if you're not stopping people in a four-down situation, you, you got to start bringing some some blitzes. You got to start stunting. You got to manipulate your front. You got to change what you're doing up front to get those stops. The Eagles were not 
really complicated with what they were doing on offense. And then when you do get them in third down situations and they had them, they had them in the second half. You've had Deshaun Jackson touchdown early and say that was a third and ten on a blown coverage. The first one was a they, third and ten. Right, right. The first one was a third. You can't, you can't give up third and ten. You can't let Carson Wentz outside of the pocket. And I think both of those were to the side that Sweat was on. And again, you go, you go back and look at those and say maybe he was on a side of that. I don't know exactly what it was. But you still can't let Carson Wentz out of the pocket. And so he's making plays on third and ten. So when you do have chances to get off the field, it would have really benefited them to get off the field in third and ten. But they got gashed. I mean, they gave up 24 rushing yards in the first half. They gave up over 100 in the second half. You have to readjust. So some of those adjustments, um, stunting, blitzing, I don't know how often they sent an additional pass rusher in obvious pass situations. You know, you you may know at this point, but it didn't seem like there was a lot of extra pressure on pass on third and long. How about the first third and ten that Deshaun Jackson scored on? That was a three-man rush. Exactly. And by the way, if you look at that play, Kerrigan on the three-man rush, actually that may have been as close as he got all day. Look, I know that they have good right and left tackles, and I know that their center's a pro bowler, but we have to get some pressure. Yeah. We have to get some pressure. You have to find a way to create some pressure. And maybe you went into that game thinking, John – and Duran and Ryan, and now we got Montez, and we're going to get after them. And we don't need to blitz these guys. We can four-man rush them, but you weren't. And so at some point in that game, you needed to do something different to get pressure. Yeah, I mean, it, so this this leads to, we know they tried to replace the defensive coordinator in the offseason. And Jay, I, I found it very interesting to watch his press conference and listen to some of the locker room stuff. He was frustrated with the defense more than anything else. Did I read that right or not? Who was not frustrated with the defense? I understand that, but he he in particular was like, we we got to get pass, we got to get him off the field. We only had three opportunities with the ball in the second half before that final drive. Yeah, I think he showed a little too much frustration in the defense, to be completely honest with you. And I understand it because he is not in charge. He, overall, the overall well-being of his team is his responsibility and the overall cause of his defense is his responsibility but he is game planning for offense and he's sitting there thinking to himself and you anyone would be man i put up 20 in the first half could you please give me the ball could you please give me the ball back yeah he's not calling he's not calling defenses i'm not trying to alleviate jay gruden from any of this responsibility because it 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 his defense and his defensive calls, that's what a head coach is responsible for. So if he needs to be a part of making those adjustments and he doesn't see them happening, then he's responsible to step in and say, these are the calls I want you to start making. Trust me, he knows what the calls are. He knows what they're doing on defense. He knows the terminology. He knows the scheme. He knows what he wants to see. And by the way, he knows as well as anybody what's hard to protect and what's hard to block up. So if he wanted to make some adjustments, he can make them. He's a head coach. The, the, the season that they had last year where, for whatever reason, there's been a lot of revisionist history on from our fans and maybe even some in the media that the defense was really good last year and it had a chance to be dominant top five and the players are, are telling you how great the defense is going to be. Josh Norman saying it could be all time. Landon Collins predicting Super Bowls, plural, and the whole thing. Bottom line is that defense last year was just okay. 
It was it was good early when they were dominating time of possession and they were running the football on offense. But even against the good offensive teams last year, early in the year, Atlanta, New Orleans torched. Green Bay had a one-legged quarterback when they came in here, and that was a good effort. But all, all season long, it was not a great defense. I, what I don't know is how much of that is talent versus scheme and play calling and coaching. Um, but it, it, they tried to replace the dude in the offseason and were unable to do it. So I think that's a storyline to watch here early in the season with the talent they think they have defensively, Chris. If they don't produce, somebody's going to pay the price for that, I would think. Well, when you have coaches coming in and saying that we have a top 10 or a top 5 defense talent wise, yeah, which has happened. Yeah, Ray, uh, Rob Ryan. You, you, you better – you better have some games where you're stopping some people and you can't have games where you look back and even if they've gotten a couple stops in the second half, you can't have games where you look back and you go, we're a great defense. We got beat on three big plays four four big plays. And we lost the game 28 to whatever. Those four plays count. That first play to D Jacks that counted. Mm-hmm. We, we were up 17 zero when you gave up that 50 plus yard bomb. On third to because you blew coverage. What happened on that coverage? Nicholson was the only guy know. back there. I, I, I'm going to go look at it. But here's what I do know is I don't understand quite how Sean Dion Hamilton is the deepest player in the middle of the field outside of Josh Norman in coverage on, on D-Jacks. You had no safety in the middle of the field. I'm assuming – what I'm assuming is they went with this coverage that they call Orlando, which is a form of Tampa, right? Tampa 2? Yeah. And they call it Orlando because it's a different version of Tampa 2 where your corners are your deep halves and your safety comes and plays the Tampa middle linebacker. But where was the safety on the opposite side of the field in the deep middle? Like, he should have been back, too, because Deshaun ended up being almost to the middle of the field. Like, there was blown coverage there somewhere. I'll figure it out. But... Yeah, because Mon- Monte had to choose between two guys basically attacking him. Well, that was, and- the, that was the second one. That was the first one the too. First, the first one was the well, the first one was was Josh Norman. Oh right, first one was Norman. Second one was Nicholson. Deep. Yeah. So yeah. I think you're. I think there's some aspect of blown coverages in both of those. Because it, it, the one that Monte had to choose on, if Monte would have chose Deshaun Jackson, they had two vertical routes, one crossing the field deep in the middle. Monte held on that a little bit too long. If he had chosen straight Deshaun Jackson, there ain't nobody that was going to cover the next crossing route inside. Nobody. He is way behind Landon Collins before that ball's thrown. So choose, but either way it was death for Monte in that situation. Um, anybody defensively impress you? Yeah, Cole Holcomb. Yeah. The dude was all over the freaking field. He was making plays on special teams. He was making tackles across the board on defense. Now you're looking at it and you're like, this defense is going to be so good. We got Deron Payne. We got John Allen. We got – Montez Sweat, Ryan Kerrigan's back. You know, look at the guy. And the fifth-round pick that's a rookie is the most impressive player. Yeah, he can run. He is fast. He really did impress me, though. I I was really impressed with Holcomb. I don't think he missed a tackle in the game. I thought he was fairly consistent throughout. You know, you always go back and say, was he he as good? Did he make plays downfield because he he was out of place early? But I, I was really impressed by Cole. Cole was the guy that Gruden really liked when he when he saw him, right? Yeah, everybody everybody really liked Cole. I think everybody's liked Cole going back to watching college film. I liked Cole when I went back and watched his college film. He's a good player, North Carolina. 
Offensively, was anybody more impressive than McLaurin? Case. Yeah. Uh, and, and to be honest, you know who else I was pretty impressed by? I was pretty impressed by Donald Penn. Case had time to throw. Yeah. The offensive line was – there was some concerns there for me going into that game. I was pretty impressed up front by the offensive line. All the, all the receivers look good. Uh, the the offensive line and the pass protection in the first half was outstanding. It was it was fine in the second half? It, it held up except when there were penalties. But they had plenty. Uh, uh, he had plenty of time in the first half. I, I was impressed with that as well. And and McLaurin and and Richardson on the field at the same time with you know Vernon and potentially Jordan down the road and Chris Thompson. I mean, one game you got to be careful about these these opening games, but. We didn't see any of these players actually play in a game until yesterday, and they have a completely different capability throwing the football with the group they have this year versus last year, and that includes the quarterback. Yeah, I think there's no doubt about it. And the thing that I really liked about Case was I think he was, throughout the game, looking deep first and really trying to get the ball down the field versus just, Let's just take it. We got something short. I think he was really trying to press the ball down the field. I thought you saw him buying time in the pocket and eyes down the field and receivers that can win down the field. Look, we've been doing stuff together for a long time, and I've told you over and over, going back to D-Jacks, like how important it is to have a guy that can take, a, that take the top off downfield, and that clearly is going to be Terry McLaurin. And Paul Richardson's got some speed, too. So you got two guys that you got to worry about deep. I, I, I was impressed by the offense in general. I mean, the second half was not what you want. And if they were elite, like you're telling me that Tom Brady wouldn't have led one drive in the second half of that ball game, or the Patriots or someone, you know, they would have. But that was way – tell me anybody wasn't impressed by what happened offensively. You can't. I I totally agree with you. And, and you're right, of course, Tom Brady or somebody else would have taken one of those three drives before the final drive and made the team pay, uh, the, you know, the other team pay for, for getting back into the game or you know understanding that they've got to do something with that drive. Um, but that's not what this team is. It hasn't been that, and it's probably not that offensively. But still, you get, you get out to a 17-0 lead, a 20-7 halftime lead. You, you're, you, score, you had 10 drives in the game. You scored on five of them. And really, you know, the the other five were penalties, drops, or you know, the missed big one to McLaurin. I I came away very impressed with them offensively. I want to get to a couple of other things before I know you've got to run here, but just give me your thoughts on Adrian Peterson being inactive. I it's a surprise to me. It's a surprise, and it was almost going to be a non-story there at the end of the first half. And I don't want to make it a story because Darius Geis rushed for 1.8 yards. Because we can talk about the run game yeah, and what, what happened and, and why he only got 1.8 yards per carry. I think, I think that's something that you can absolutely discuss. But in my opinion, you either cut him, trade him, don't sign him. He's a day one Hall of Famer. Walk in, first ballot Hall of Famer. He's one of the hardest workers. He's one of the best dudes on the team. He's – look – He's a guy that you you either activate or you can't be on this team, and you have to be transparent. And he's he's earned the respect from anybody in this league to tell him exactly where he stands and where he belongs. And and so I think that's really frustrating. Now, on the flip side of it, 
I don't want to hear the players tell me that or tell someone that they're going to go talk to people or that they're mad about it. It's not their business. Their business is to find the best possible chemistry in that locker room and to move past things as as fast as they possibly can. And I think Adrian's handled it really well. What I was really interested in, what not just the pregame lead-up, like why Jay had to say we're going to run it through Darius Geis on Monday. We didn't even really need to say that. No, we didn't. But afterwards, Jay saying, man, you know, it was a decision we made, and, you know, if there's a game where I think we can carry the ball 55 times in the I formation, it's because Darius can handle whatever. That, that's That was almost weird. Well, uh, let's... That, wait, who's that a shot? Like, is that a shot at AP? Yeah, I mean, well, let, let, let's play that uh, that sound bite right now. Yeah, I think it'll be week to week. You know, I think, uh, you know, we'll have to wait and see numbers-wise, really. You know, he's a first, second down back, you know, and so is Darius. So, really, what do we have, about 20 first downs a game, and probably eight of those are passes, 12 of those might be runs, and Darius can handle those 12. So, if we have a game where we think we can run the ball 55 times in a game in I formation, then sure, I'll get him up. Yeah, I mean that's that's Jay Gruden. You know, I this this is what I would read into it. I would read into it. First of all, we know that Adrian Peterson has pref- doesn't love to run out of the gun and is pre- preferred more of a quarterback under center I formation attack. Anyway, we also know that Jay, you know, based on some reporting. Uh, you know, apparently didn't want to move forward with Adrian last week. And probably if he had his way, at least according to, to the Junkies report, would have released him last week. And he sort of made it a point there, I think, saying, I think it's a shot maybe at Adrian and maybe at management saying, look, you know, we're, we're trying to win a game. The, the the game plan yesterday, by the way, was to throw the football. They, they There was no balance to their attack first half or second half. They threw it 22 times, ran it 10 times in the first half. 45 to 13 for the game. Um, you know, a lot of that obviously the last drive really, you know, makes it look even more unbalanced. But um, yeah, it's a bit. I, uh, I, I don't care if it's balanced, though. You know, I, know I don't either. Anything. So, but I don't like. Here's where I care if you had balance. Do you have balance in first and ten situations or second and six situations? And I and I think they did. I think on those first two drives they had balance yeah, in running situations. That's all the balance that I want. Does. Is there a believable aspect to run at any point in the game? Is all I really want to have. It's just an NFL where unless you're dominant running the ball, which they're not going to be this year, I just don't see that, then you're going to throw the ball more. And who cares what balance is? Balance is – can you deceive the defense, in my opinion? So I don't care about that. I just – I think it's really interesting, and I just wish to some, to some extent in, in these situations, whether it be right or wrong, that Jay just say – I did what I thought was best for the team. I'll evaluate next week what I think is best for the team, period. Done. I don't need to know that anyone's going to run through guys. I don't need to know why. I don't need to know how as a fan, as anybody else outside of the organization. If you're going to make that move, I think you tell Adrian Peterson early and you have a discussion with him and you move forward and no one needs to know anything else. That's just I don't think anything else needs to be said. Uh, I'm totally – And I don't think any players need to say anything. I don't think anyone needs to say anything. But I do think Adrian deserves the respect to know what's going on. And I don't know when he knew or if he knew. But I'm assuming they probably did tell him before game. Like, he didn't go to Philly, walk in the locker room, and not see pads. Because that happens to a lot of guys that are inactive. They go in the locker room, they're like, oh, no pads today. Okay. I'm betting on he knew before that moment. Do you think if he had been active and started that it would have made a difference? No. Me neither. Do, do, I, think, do I think it could have? Obviously, yes. He, it, it could have 
potentially, but do I think it would have? I, I just don't. I, I, I don't. Yeah, they, they wanted, didn't get enough carries in the second half to to have any. No, I don't think it would. They wanted to throw the football yesterday. The the other thing you said too, I just want to add to the pregame reports that some veteran players were upset by this. Honestly. You know, it's not their job, as you said. That's the coach's job. It's not their job to worry about this stuff. And no offense, but we got a bunch of veteran players that, 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 that have never won anything. So they don't know if this is right or wrong. They can have their own opinion, but you know the, the Belichick saying, "Do your job." It's not their position to come with come up with the list of who's active and who's inactive. It, that's the stuff that drives me crazy in this organization. Is just the presumption, the presumption that they're going to be great on defense, the presumption that they're going to be hogs 2.0, the presumption that they know better than the coach on who's active and who's inactive with a bunch of dudes that have never won anything you know, absent of Josh Norman and Vernon Davis, and they did it on other teams. Belichick sat his starting cornerback in a Super Bowl. All right. The 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 Jay Gruden has the right to do what he wants to do to give the team the best chance to win, and his players should never second-guess him publicly. Not that they did, but the pregame reports were that some players were very upset by this. Uh, that's that's their problem. D- 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 go go do your job and try to beat the Eagles. I it dri- it drives me nuts. And by the way, I I respect what you said about treating Adrian Peterson the right way. My only sense of this is now that the season started, it's too late. You got to do what you need to do to win games. They should have handled that in the off season, or they should have handled that last weekend with the final cuts. Yeah, I, I think you're one hundred percent right on that. How did guys? As, as far as the running game goes, I, I don't think guys was. I don't think there's anything wrong with Darius guys. I think he was fine. Where I think this is really interesting is when you start looking at what they did for Darius guys. First of all, let's not forget that everything that went into this week in AP being inactive added pressure to guys in his debut as as a as a running back. He's never played a game right. in the NFL. It added pressure, but they ran. The first seven, six or seven plays, different run schemes, essentially, or different style run plays. Like they ran their pound draw on the first play. They ran a weak side zone play. Then they ran a trap play. Then they ran an RPO play where you have two pulling offensive linemen that they call a force play. Then they went to another trap play. Then they went to a full toss outside sweep play. Then an inside counter, which is like power. And then it's like if you want to get to me – Personally, if you want to get your back going, and, and really not just your back, your offensive line getting a feel for what they're doing in the run game, you got to be more simplistic, at least early in the run game. you got to get your guys a feel. Like, and I'm saying this, Kevin, as somebody that was part of a, a big-time zone scheme for my entire career. Gibbs and Mike Shanahan, and for the most part when Zorn was here, it was Joe Bugle, so it was zone as well, inside-outside zone. And then you had complement plays off of that. But the other thing is when you start adding counter, power, toss, and you're, you're practicing all those plays all week, so how many looks at those runs is Darius getting throughout the week anyway versus set up a zone run, right. set up and push to set up linebackers? I think it does make it hard on, on everybody involved. Now, I'm not saying that those plays aren't coached well. I'm not saying that those plays aren't schemed well. I'm not saying that we're unprepared as a staff to, to install those plays. I just think it's a lot for an offensive line and a back in the first game. 
I tend to agree with you. I just don't know how you would evaluate Geis yesterday. I actually thought he looked pretty energetic early, and you know that's a team that's difficult to run on, has been difficult to run on, and they did the right thing by trying to be aggressive and throw the ball down the field against the weakness on that defense, which is the secondary. Right. By the way, as we're sitting here, so here let me put it. Let me put it this way: yeah. I don't think he missed anything. He didn't make any big plays or anyone really truly miss, but he tried to get downhill when he had opportunities to get downhill. And outside of that, I thought he was good in protecting the passer on a couple situations. Like the first McLaurin touchdown pass, I thought he did a heck of a job stepping up. And I thought he made some plays in the pass game when he was asked to when he, when he was the checkdown player. Right. So I was fine with Darius, guys. He didn't impact the game, but he didn't have that many opportunities to impact the game. I thought he was fine. Back to Adrian Peterson here because I'm just reading this for the first time. Um, JP wrote a story this morning. Um, actually, I'm reading it on JP's Twitter feed. Morgan Moses was on with the Junkies this morning and said the following, quote, Anytime you've got a Hall of Fame guy that doesn't dress, it's a slap in the face, closed quote. Um, Morgan Moses needs to shut the hell up and stop committing all those penalties and stop leading the league in penalties. This is what we were just talking about. And this, typical of this organization, somebody better squash this very quickly. Somebody, and I don't think it's Jay because this is not his, his personality, Somebody needs to get that team together and say, you don't do your jobs, you're going to be inactive on Sunday. I mean, who the hell is Morgan Moses to talk about a slap in the face to a Hall of Famer? This, somebody's got to get this under control, Cooley, because you you are right. I'm not saying that you you treat him the way that they've treated him, but it's not the other player's it's not for the other players to weigh in publicly or have it affect their jobs. Uh, yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go after Morgan Moses. I'm just gonna say again, in general, I, I think that this is um, something that we don't discuss as a group of players. You just go play. And also, I'm I'm not gonna chime in and say you need to do this instead of do that. Like you got to get holding under control before you say. It. Like just. The thing is, is the right thing to do for the group of players is just to not say anything. That's it. Everyone's going every, to – the holding thing's the holding thing. It's a different situation. So, sorry, I, I hate that because I, when I was playing, it was like, you need to focus on playing versus do radio interviews or do this or you need to do – Well, like, I think when you're – when you're perfo- when your I'm own – per- A lot easier that, but... to come from the position of strength, and right now his position is not strength, Morgan Moses, after committing all the penalties he committed yesterday and last year. I said the first, I said the first run penalty – the first penalty on Morgan Moses wasn't a hold. I think it's a hold. I'm watching it again. He's got his hands outside. He's pulling. Mm-hmm. I, it's hard. I mean, it's so like by definition. Backtracking it's, it's a hold, on the, the team being targeted. Yeah, I just I wanted I wanted to clear up. I think I think <laughs> okay. he's got his hands outside. I just I'm just sitting here watching it right now as we speak. So, but yeah. but by the way, um, here, but I'm not I'm not going to like look. My 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 point is this: it, it doesn't benefit you as a player to say anything. It just doesn't. And it said, doesn't help your team. He says it's something we need to correct because he's a hell of a football player. And then he told the junkies this morning that he intends to speak with the coaching staff about getting Peterson back on the field and that he would be very surprised if Peterson is inactive next week. I just, in you know, in my organization, what happens in the building is going to stay in the building. Mm-hmm. That's just, that's the way, right. it's, it, that's the way the best professional organizations do it. And I know that Morgan clearly feels very strongly about it and, you know, a lot of people do because a lot of people really love Adrian. But 
You got to know your role in the organization. Is is any of this? Do you think you know anti guys? No, no. I think, and that's a hard thing. Is I don't think any of this has to do with Darius. I think everyone likes Darius. It's just AP's AP. He's Adrian Peterson. Yeah. And uh, he's not. He, and it's not this veteran that go back to the past forever. That Dan Snyder signed these veteran players to. He's not that guy, man. He works his butt off. He is everything you want in a veteran player. Now, again, I don't know what's happening. If he's having conversations with coaches, if he's telling – I don't know. He was their I, best here, here, offensive here, here, player last year. He let, was their best player. Way. Let me put it to you this – like, let's, let's do this for a second. If he's going in and saying let's – just, let's just hypothetically say he's going in and saying, man, if you can give me an eye formation and give me some weak side zones with a fullback in front of me, that's where I'm my best. I think that's uh, – that a player has every right to go in and say – this is what I think we'd be best at doing. But we're playing teams when I'm when, when I was playing, and let's say you're you're blocking zone plays, and I got a guy, big guy outside of me where I can't get out and block him. I'd go into coach and say, hey, look, it's going to really help this offense if I can go in motion and get outside on him, head up versus have to step all the way out to get my butt kicked into the hole. Like it was within my right to go in and say, this is what I think is yeah, best I don't, because I, this is what I, I agree do with best. that. I don't have a problem with AP going into a coaching staff. Win or, you may win, you may lose. And there was a lot of times that I didn't win. And they said, look, granted, we love that you, you want to do that, but this is the way we're going to do it this week. And then you say, okay. And to be honest, Adrian has said, okay. At, at the end of the day, he's done whatever they've asked him to do. He hasn't, I haven't seen him not run hard because he had to run duo 25 times a game. I don't. I, I I would be surprised if somebody like Adrian Peterson wouldn't be listened to if he came in and said, "Look, I, I've got a couple of ideas. Take them for what for what they're worth. You know, if if you throw in a couple of these plays, I think I'd be more effective. But you know, I'm here to do what you want me to do. But I just want to throw out some ideas for you. I, I I'd be surprised if they didn't listen. Um, do you um want to do me a favor and 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 when you see Jay next time, tell him that at the end of a game when he's got a timeout left and he's going to need a score and an onside kick and another score to not take that timeout with him to the locker room because that was just beyond stupid. If they had recovered that onside kick, they had four seconds left. And he could have saved 15, 20 seconds by using that final timeout. When did they use – go through when we used all three of the timeouts all right. in the second half. Hold on. I've got the play-by-play because I, when, when I talked to you last night and you said, I, are you sure they didn't – have they had a timeout? No, I didn't say – I didn't say no, are you no, sure. I said I, I wasn't paying attention to right. where the timeouts were called. All right, here they are. And I you know ready? that they didn't have to use the last timeout. Here they are. Uh, with 3.34 left, um, Jordan Howard up the middle at the Redskin 10-yard line. Uh, the Redskins called a timeout after that play. Um, then second and seven, Jordan Howard up the middle to Washington for five yards, but there was a penalty on Philly, which stopped the clock. Then Wentz to Howard for six yards. Redskins used their second timeout, um, and that got the ball down to the Redskins' 11-yard line. It was third and 11. They had just taken their second timeout with 3.18 left when Wentz threw a ball to Sp- Sproles. He got pushed out of bounds. Clock stopped. So that was the last timeout on the play before that. They'd never used one offensively on that final drive. They they spiked the ball. They killed it down with 42 seconds to go. The previous play ended at about 56, so there's about 14 seconds there. They had a, a pass to Thompson over the middle, um, and they didn't take their next snap till there were 23 seconds left. There was about a 19-second opportunity or maybe like a 15-second opportunity there. 
He he. For, for those that didn't hear me go off on the radio show, he had a timeout on the final drive offensively. And you may say, well, who cares? They weren't going to recover an onside kick. Well, if they had recovered an onside I'm kick. I'm not going to say that. I know you're not. Um, if they had recovered an onside kick, they would have had about three to four seconds to run one Hail Mary, by the way, from you know beyond the 50-yard line more likely than not, instead of potentially having 20 seconds to run a couple of plays. No, I'm with you, and, and I think that there's a there's a moment where you you're sitting there thinking to yourself, I want to save this timeout. If we do get an off do get an onside kick, that I can throw a ball into the middle of the field and have an opportunity to get up, call timeout, and get a, maybe a couple more plays. But I think that moment is at about the 39 yard line with a minute 57 left. As that starts to eclipse, short to Trey Quinn. Now you're to a minute 34. Now incomplete to Thompson, minute 30. Then complete to Thompson on third and 12. After the fourth and 12 play, no, that one out of bounds. Uh-huh. Yeah, right about a minute 30 is when you got to call that timeout because that's when you're going to save yourself the extra 20 seconds or even at 56 seconds left. Yeah, or 50 56. Passed to Harmon for 10 yards, um, and they, they, they took the time to get the offense that's set that's so they could spike the ball. Seconds. Yeah. yeah the, I'm also going to say this. I'm – just utterly fascinated, and I don't know why this is so hard. I know it doesn't take a long time, Kevin, to call a play at the line of scrimmage for a quarterback in a two-minute drill. But when Chris Thompson gets a first down and goes out of bounds, why can't we call two plays in a row? <laughs> like, why know. can't we go trips right both times and call two plays in a row? And nobody does it, but I don't understand why we can't do it. Well, is it because... You know why I don't understand that? Because I remember we used to do that in freaking high school. Yeah. Makes sense to me. You know what I mean? Like, hey, let's go two plays in a in a row here. Let's go dancer, and then we'll follow it up with America's Cup. Um, we're gonna go two jet on both of them. So we'll go trips right two jet dancer, trips right two jet America's Cup. Like, here we go, boom, boom, two plays. Well, hold Can't on, hold on. Plays? After the first boom, I'm coming back saying, "What was that second play? What was the no other one?" Chance. No <laughs> chance. No uh, chance. But I bet no some people in the huddle chance. will be, or some no people that chance. aren't. No, well, okay, here, here. Let's simplify this for everybody, but. Four players, because the back and the all, all the offensive line is going to know we're going to run the same exact protection out of the same exact look. Yeah. There we go. The quarterback's definitely not going to be confused. So we got four receivers, four of them. So we get four guys on the same page for two plays. Anyways, I don't know. That's the thing. All right. On to Dallas. Or can, I ask on, you, can I ask you one On question? to play Dallas. Yes. Completely aside of all of this, since I don't do any radio show and I'm not going to do this at all today. I just, you, you and I were talking last night and you were play by playing the Cardinals game as I was driving home. And it was an amazing comeback yeah. that Kyler Murray led. It, it was absolutely amazing. I think it's fascinating. The decision that a first time NFL coach has never even coached in the NFL fourth and seven at the Detroit 46 in overtime, a minute and 10 left. Yeah. Do you play for a tie or do you play for a win? Because the second you punt, you say to yourself, best case scenario is a tie. Now, Matt Stafford threw a ball that should have been picked. I know. That would have been an amazing end to that game and end to that story. But essentially, you punt there and you're, you're saying, let's tie in the first ball game. Do you punt it? So we were, we, were, we were watching that together in the moment. I think, or maybe, no, you had already gotten home at that point. Um, so 
Yeah, look, it's fourth and seven. If it's fourth and four or less, fourth and five or less, I'm probably going for the win there. But you also have to consider what's Detroit going to do when I punt it to you? Because they could, you know, with a minute left, and by the way, at that point, the Cardinals had no timeouts left, which is why Cooley's saying they're in overtime. When they decide to punt, they're basically saying, we're going to settle for the tie here. But Detroit might throw three straight incompletions and be forced to punt. You know, you, you don't know how that's going to play out from their end. And yeah, they did throw a, a should have been picked off in field goal range, you know, play at the end there. But I don't want to lose in the opener um, after I just fought all the way back and it's fourth and seven. It, oh, four, a tie's a win in that sense. Like, a tie was a win for Arizona. Yeah, I do and four, fourth that. and seven is a less than 50-50 conversion play. So, and if you don't that convert... Is one of the, that is one of the toughest decisions that a coach has to make in general in the NFL. And no doubt. make it in his first game. Very good point. It, because you're basically choosing not to lose versus to, to, to give yourself a chance to win. But it's probability in that point. Like, fourth and four, and it's better than 50-50 that I'm going to make it, I'm going for it. I'm going for the win. Fourth and seven or longer, what I'm doing there is I'm saying the probability is if I go for it, I'm going to lose the game. That's the probability. So you're, 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 you're now really you're, you're going against the odds there. The odds aren't with you on fourth and seven or longer. Now they were rolling no, offensively I'm, I'm total, in context. I'm totally, I'm totally with you, but you're also saying to your team and your offense and your, your organization. I believe 100% in this quarterback, and I believe in guys like Larry Fitzgerald. And we're going to get it, and we're going to go to. We're, we're we're here to win a game. We came back. It's like it's like you're sitting in Vegas and you just you got down to your last freaking chip, and all of a sudden you're even. And you got one hand to play. Do you walk? Because you don't. You, you, I promise Kevin Sheehan doesn't walk. Like, Let's go. Let's. I was yeah. down to twenty five bucks left. Now I'm up. Now I'm back up to the grand I started with. It's a thousand or, or it's two thousand or zero. Let's go one hand. Oh, trust me. I I lost that final hand many times and had to run the tolls on the way home on the New Jersey Turnpike. <laughs> we should both punch. <laughs> But uh, but by the way, did you see Cliff Kingsbury? Uh, by the way, again, just for those that are, are are hearing this for the first time, the game's in overtime. There's a minute left in overtime. Arizona in a 27-27 situation in overtime has the ball at midfield facing fourth and seven with no timeouts. If they go for it, they've got a chance to win the game. If they punt it, you're pretty much saying, we're going to settle for the tie. We're, we're okay with the tie. I just think that ultimately the fourth and seven makes me punt it because I don't want to lose that game. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I, I'm, I just, I think it's a tougher decision. But by, by the way, on when Detroit, I, I know, I know that you, you should punt it. Trust me, I know that you you should punt it. But it's also. They were making all of those plays. They the were down the stretch. Times. True. Context they is they had been rolling. Play. And you're you're you don't you never leave a heater. You never leave a heater. You know what? My brother my brother sent me this note, and and my brother is is uh, very familiar with with gambling. Um, I'll just leave it at that. But he said about Jay yesterday. He said the thing that just bothers him about Jay more than anything is he gets on a hot dice table and he doesn't press. 
Like he doesn't know when to press. And I, I disagreed with him yesterday because I said I didn't see him become less aggressive. I just didn't. That's not the, my takeaway from yesterday's game. That you know because they didn't score, you know, and they didn't score in their first three drives of the second half. That it was somehow a different mindset. They took the shot to McLaurin, and by the way, that's when the Eagles have taken the lead. All of a sudden, your seventeen-point lead is now a one-point deficit. And Cooley, I didn't tell you this last night, but I tweeted during that commercial break. You've got to be aggressive and throw the ball right here. And that is exactly what he did. He came out on first down and he took a big shot and it was wide open. And he would have looked so good had Keenum not overthrown McLaurin. And it's a shame because Keenum, you know, he had the one ball that could have been picked in the first half, but for the most part, he was really good most of the day, inaccurate a couple times, but, you know, under pressure in some of those, those throws. But... I, no, I, I but yeah, you you, you you get on a hot dice table and you're not pressing those numbers, you're missing out on an opportunity. If you win, you know, four or five hands in a row and you're not pressing that dealer in that table, you're missing then you're out. You're gonna go. We're gonna go home even. <laughs> we're gonna so. go home even. You can't, you I mean, can't leave. No, I'm I'm with you. The yeah. only like you had two opportunities to be aggressive as a coach goes that I think he he could have taken, but. The first one's the fourth and one in the first half that ended up not having any impact on the game. Um, and you're at your own 34, and, and to go for it on fourth and one is 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 tough. I mean, do you – Well, I mean, the you, other if coach If you're Philly, you're just going to quarterback sneak it, and you're – well, yeah, but Carson Wentz behind Kelsey is a guaranteed yard every single time. It's like you know it's coming, you can't stop it. I don't know if we have that. And the next one for Jay, and look, I'm probably going to punt this here too. And in hindsight, I'm still going to probably punt it. But contact is incredibly important, and, and as I was calling the game, I thought this. You had a chance down 29-20 with 12-16 to go for it on a fourth and six. And trust me, I know the, the risk of this. Like you are, what, you're at your own 25-yard line? Mm-hmm. I think they were at their own 25. Right. But you're down two scores with 12 minutes, and Philly's controlled the entire second half. How many more possessions are you going to get? Because realistically, at that moment, you are only going to get two more possessions. It means you're going to have to score in your next two possessions. And yeah. you're going to have to stop them. Fourth and six, 12-16 left, own 25-yard line. Uh, I, I, you know, you, you, you get into that situation. If you really think the game is lost by punting it back, well, then you go for it. Because what's the downside? Them scoring sooner rather than later to take a a a, a thirty six to twenty lead. I mean, you know, that just gives you more time to come right. back from two. You know, you're still going to need two scores there with two two point conversions. But and, I, and it's still like it's where you think about it. A, a head coach probably is going to believe in his team and believe in his defense and believe in his players at any moment. But in the moment they punted, I said you lost the. I thought you just lost the game. Watching yeah, the it thing, from. From the way I had seen, the way Philly was moving the ball, the way their offensive line was moving our defensive line, they, they weren't getting lucky runs, lucky plays. Like they had 124 yards rushing. They didn't have the longest rush was 19 yards. Like they were just eating up yards yeah. at will, and they were converting on third downs. And you weren't getting pressure. That's the other thing. Like if you seen your D line getting pressure and said, you know, maybe because of some of this pressure, we get a turnover, we get a big player, we get a sack. Like, but we weren't getting any of those things. We were just making tackles to not get huge gashes in the run game six, seven yards downfield. I just think it, I the, d- the context of this game may have said, 
look, I can lose the game now or I can lose the game later. What was really frustrating, and it's got to be the single biggest frustration point for Jay yesterday, not that he would have ever thought about going for fourth and six from his own 25 with 12-15 left. Um, and I, you know, you and I think that way and think more aggressively and think about those situations without the ramifications of missing and it being 36-20 to 20 on the next play. But when he punted it, which was another spectacular punt from, from, from Tress Way, they had him in third and 15 on their own 17-yard line, and he hit Ertz for 16 yards against, you know, against Dunbar. And it's like on that drive, they made a third and 15, then they made the third and one on that really short throw. Was, I think that was an RPO to, to Ertz. Then they made a third and seven to Jeffrey. Then they made a, number, a third and one with Wentz sneaking it. It was just painful, painful. I don't know. Um, the uh, going back to um, what I thought was a really very important situation in play was the first drive of the second half. They're, they are moving the ball. They're gashing the Redskins. They've Miles Sanders had that 19-yard run to the Redskin three-yard line, and on the play, DRC uh, Rogers Cromartie got hurt, and when he got hurt, it gave the defense a breather. And I was like, when they came back out, Philadelphia, if you notice, the next two plays were, were poorly run plays that were stopped, and it created third and goal for the, from the five. And right before that third and goal play, I'm like, that D, and I made the note, I'm like, the DRC injury saved them four points um, because they're going to they're gonna kick a field goal here if they get a stop. Because the defense, if 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 DRC doesn't get you know get hurt and the defense doesn't you know grab a breath there, the Eagles probably score on the first and goal from the three. But they ended up getting stopped on first down, second down. They've got the third and goal from the five, and Wentz is like boxed in, and then he makes a really he made some really good plays in the second half. He's a good player, really good player. And he was, he was off a little bit in the first half. And Rusty, and that may have been the reason that the defense looked better in the first half is it had more to do with Philadelphia's offense. To your point, which is a good one, and I didn't make it on the radio show this morning, it's not like the defense was completely shutting the Eagles down in the first half. You had a, a fourth and two batted ball after a 12-play drive. You had the the so the the Eagles went for it there, and that the first three drives they had a they had a five play drive, a twelve play drive, and then there was a three and out, um, and then they had their touchdown on a third and ten. Yeah, and the first the first drive was essentially stopped by a penalty that could have been called on the Redskins just as much as it could have been called on. Yeah, the Jackson Dunbar uh, thing where Dunbar started it, but Jackson got caught exactly right, and that was the fifteen yarder that. You know, based on what we ended up seeing the rest of the day, third and two probably would have been a make, and Philadelphia would have continued to move the football. Um, all right, all right. I mean, you know, in, in terms of the other things that happened around the league, Dallas really looks good, but you know, they're only a five-point favorite here, and the public's going to be all over the Cowboys, which they already are. I actually think that I, I would give the Redskins a fighting chance now that I've seen them offensively. More, more than I felt going into the game yesterday. That, that To me, the biggest takeaway is their pass offense is going to be completely different than it was a year ago if they're healthy, if they're healthy. Yeah, I would agree with you. I would agree with you. they got a big one coming up, though. You can't go two down in the division. It's going to hurt them bad. All right. Thanks for doing this. All right. I'll talk to you See later. You, buddy. Chris Cooley, Bye. everybody. Quick word about stamps.com. 
Stamps.com brings all of the amazing services of the U.S. Post Office right to your computer. Whether you're a small office like ours, sending invoices or an online seller shipping out products, or even a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, Stamps.com handles it all with ease. Here's how you use Stamps.com. You print U.S. postage right from your computer for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. Once your mail is ready, hand it to your mail carrier or drop it in a mailbox. It's that simple. So with Stamps.com, you save time, but you save money as well. Here's what's happening with our business here at the Kevin Sheehan Show, which we do have Stamps.com. We're, sa- we're saving $0.05 cents off every first-class stamp and 40% off priority mail. It's a no-brainer, saves you time and money, 700,000-plus small businesses, including ours, is already using Stamps.com. Right now, my listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the mic at the top of the homepage, type in Kevin DC. that's Stamps.com, enter K-E-V-I-N-D-C. All right, um... Thanks to Cooley for doing that. And really with Cooley, what I did is I went through pretty much my entire game take. You know, I don't, I didn't miss much uh, in my game take. You know, I was impressed um, offensively with Terry McLaurin, with their pass catchers, really with the offense as a whole. I was very impressed with it. Um, To me, they lost that game yesterday because of a defense that could not get off the field in the second half. You know, when you put up 20 points on a, on the on a team as good as Philadelphia in a half with nearly 300 yards of offense yourself in a half, you shouldn't be down two scores uh, with you know 12 minutes to go or eight, five minutes to go in the game. It, it shouldn't be that way unless you're turning the ball over, which they didn't. You know, they had drops, they had penalties. But they also didn't have enough opportunities in the second half. They scored on four of their first six uh, drives in in the first half. They ended up scoring on five of the ten drives they had in the entire game. Um, The offense did its part yesterday. Could it have done more? Of course. Could it have committed fewer penalties? Yes. Could it have avoided dropping passes? Yes. Could Keenum have thrown the ball to McLaurin when he was wide open for a touchdown? Of course. They did enough, though, in this game. Did enough in this game. The Eagles, over the final half, had the ball for 21 minutes, ran 43 plays to the Redskins' 10 before that final drive, and rolled up 302 yards of offense and 25 points on 8 of 10 on third down. That is a defense is the reason you lost the game. You had a 17-point lead at one point, a 13-point halftime lead, and you got run over by, by the way, a very good football team. Philadelphia is a good football team. They have very good receivers. Uh, uh, Clearly, they have good receivers in Deshaun Jackson, who would appear to be totally back. He was uncheckable. There were coverage mix-ups as well. Alshon Jeffrey's very good. Zach Ertz came alive in the second half. And their quarterback's exceptional. And by the way, their running backs are pretty damn good too. And how about Darren Sproles at 75 years old? He's a threat still. So they're a good team. I'm not suggesting that you know they got run over by a bad team. But I was I, I warned everybody during the summer. This, you know, overpromising and underdelivering is a franchise given. It's their culture. 
Josh Norman, all-time great defense. Rob Ryan, top five defense talent in the NFL. Landon Collins, this is one of the best defenses I've been a part of. We're going to win not not one Super Bowl, Super Bowls. And I can't wait to get to the Giants. You know, week one, overreaction, I'm going to try to avoid that. But it's so typical, man, of the NFL, isn't it, that once you think you've got something coming – like really good defense and bad offense, the opposite happens. The, the opposite happens. Um, anyway, uh, the, the final sort of summary of the game is the first half was awesome, the second half sucked, period. You know, and last on Friday, I said I wouldn't overreact to week one, and I'm not. I, I, I am encouraged by what I saw offensively, and I'm not about to throw in the towel on the defense on the defense with respect to its talent. I still think it's got talent. I do think Greg Minuski better be careful. If the defense doesn't perform here early in the season, even though they're playing good teams, Philadelphia, Dallas this week, they put up 35 in a 400-yard Dak Prescott performance uh, yesterday, Chicago in Week 3, the Patriots in Week 5. If they are getting out-schemed in the eyes of management and even the head coach, if they aren't performing well, they all already tried to replace them once. They'll try to do it again. Probably with somebody on the staff like Tom Sula or Rob Ryan. Good God, Rob Ryan is the defensive coordinator. Um, but uh, I would think that that would be a storyline moving forward. All right, in terms of um, the, the rest of the league, I'll get to that in a moment. But I did want to weigh in on two other things real quickly. Actually, three other things real quickly. First of all, the Nats are out of it in the National League East. They lost the first three to the Braves. They won one yesterday. They're out of the division. There's no division race to be had here. The the games, they, they, they needed to win three of four, and they lost three of four. They're nine back. They were 10 back before yesterday. They're not going to win the division. And with, at this point, 20 games left, nine back, impossible to win the division, still, though, in very good shape, for the wild card. Scherzer pitched well yesterday. That was encouraging. But they're three up on the Cubs for that first wild card spot and four and a half up on Arizona, who's actually been playing well for that second wild card spot. The only thing I would just warn as it relates to the Nationals is the Cubs and Diamondbacks have much easier schedules down the stretch here than the Nats have. The Nats have a brutal schedule the rest of the way. They play Minnesota, the uh, the American League Central leader. Then they've got three with the Braves. Then they are at the NL Central leader in St. Louis. Then they get the one break they have, Miami on the road for three, before Philadelphia for five games and Cleveland for five games. Cleveland fighting for a wild card spot in the American League. They have a brutal schedule. So while their wild card lead right now with 20 games left is three games over the Cubs and four and a half over Arizona, The Cubs in Arizona have a much easier schedule than do the Nats the rest of the way. You know, the Nats, after the incredible stretch that they had, after this weekend, they have now lost five of their last seven games. So, yeah, they they played the Mets and the Braves, but they've lost five of seven. They really needed that one yesterday. Um, and now they get you know a, a stretch of nine games against the Twins, Braves, and Cardinals. Three division leaders over the next nine games starting tomorrow night. Second thing that I wanted to mention before we get to the around the NFL. 
um, and that is Maryland. How about the Terps on Saturday? I'm so happy for for Mike Loxley. He's he comes on the radio show by the way every Friday. Um, so listen to him. He's a, he's really a good dude. Aaron, you were there. That was an unbelievable avalanche of offense in the second half, and even their defense against Syracuse's offense. They they completely completely embarrassed the number 21 team in the country it was awesome to watch i mean you know we had talked about it how the line was fishy how maryland could possibly win no one expected that no one expected them to come out and just i mean they made syracuse look like howard they made them look like howard yeah maryland is averaging 71 points a game in the first two games 71 they're the number four offense in the country yard in yards at 637 yards per game on average I think what's really interesting, and this is something we talked about before the year, is they have had for a few years now some very high-talented skill position players on offense in particular. We know about Anthony McFarland, Javon Leak. Let me just mention this. Hold on. Where are my notes? Because I wrote this down. Um, the Redskins ha- – uh, the Redskins. The Terps right now have m- a minimum of three pros, potentially two first-round picks on offense. All right? Their receiver, uh, Demas, number seven, mm-hmm. Dante Demas Jr., he is a future first-round pick. He is 6'3", six, 6'4", six, he can run. He's the guy that Loxley told me before the season started, that's the guy you got to watch. He's a pro. Um, Anthony McFarland's a pro. He may go after this year. And Javon Leak is a pro running back. I would not be shocked if two of those three players are future first-round picks. By the way, they have Teon Fleet-Davis, who can also run. But what's making the difference for them, and, and Mabry, the tight end transfer from Buffalo, yeah. looks like a pro too. Uh, what the, the, the big difference is the quarterback play that they're getting. Yep. Josh Jackson was outstanding the other day. He was, he was finding windows that Terps quarterbacks haven't found since Scott McBrien. The RPO stuff in his mm-hmm. reads, it's just got everybody off balance. It was 42 to 13 at halftime. Maryland had 400 yards of offense in the first half against Syracuse, a team that was thought to be really strong defensively. It's two games. It's Howard. It's Syracuse. We may find out that Syracuse stinks. But Maryland is ranked. They are in the polls for the first time in, in six years. Mm-hmm. The last time they were ranked was 2013. Maryland football is now in a position where they could potentially, with a win over Temple, have the biggest home game they've had since the Freedgen era. You know, there were a couple of those games late in the season. They had a game against Florida State one year, Wake Forest, Wake Forest once, yeah. to get into the ACC championship game. That won't feel anything like Maryland-Penn State on Friday, September 27th, if both of those teams are undefeated. Yeah, That would be the biggest football game in College Park in a long, long time. And the fact that it would be a Friday night game on national mm-hmm. TV would really make it interesting. Temple's good. They go to Temple this week. Temple has been good in recent years. They've only played one game. They opened up with Bucknell. They had a bye this last week. The Terps are seven-point favorites at Temple. Um, if you know, it won't be easy. Temple came in here and smoked them last year. Uh, but there's something about this Maryland team that you know. I don't know if it's this year that they end up winning you know eight nine games and competing for something. It certainly seems like it would be way too early for that to happen. That would be one of the most miraculous turnarounds 
in recent college football history if they go from what they were last year to an eight or nine win team this year. You know, and some people have suggested to me on Twitter because I was tweeting during this game, oh, these are Durkin's players. Not These transfers aren't Durkin's players. No. Okay, have you seen some of the transfers? Well, first of all, Tyler Mabry is an offensive is a transfer. Josh Jackson is not a Durkin player. Ke- Keandre Jones is not a Durkin player. All right, Shaq, they, they did this, by the way, without Shaq Smith mm-hmm. and without Jones on offense, right? I'm pretty sure Jones got hurt, and then Shaq Smith got yeah. hurt. Was Shaq Smith hurt before the game, or did he get hurt on that no, first drive? No, he, he got hurt. He was, yeah, he got hurt before the game, before the game. Big win for the Terps. Congrats to them. That's a big win. All right, the last thing I want to get to before we go to around the NFL is the Antonio Brown thing from over the weekend. One of, honestly, um, the craziest, most bizarre, most self-indulgent sagas I think we have ever, ever seen in sports. I want to recap this thing over the last month in particular, all right, just so everybody has a sense of just the lunacy and by the way, really, ultimately, the drama, if not sitcom nature, of what we've been watching. He arrived at training camp in a hot air balloon. <laughs> That's how he arrived at training camp, in a hot air balloon. By the way, all the while knowing that he couldn't participate in training camp because he had nearly frozen his feet off in a cryotherapy session in France. Then came the helmet issue. The helmet, is, the helmet that he's been using isn't on the approved NFL helmet list anymore, so he threatens to retire. Then he walks out of training camp. Remember that day he walked out of training camp and then the Raiders are like, you know, are you in or are you, are you out? And Rosenhaus, his shameful agent, made it totally minimized. Said, no, it's not a big deal that he walked out. Not a big deal at all. And I, and I remember saying on the podcast and the radio show, if I'm a father of a recruit, who gets drafted in the NFL. That comment by that agent, I'm striking him off my list. I do not want I want my agent, my my son's agent to be totally supportive of my son. I do I, I also want to make sure that he's not making excuses for him when my son makes a big mistake by going a wall on his team. All right. Um then things really got interesting last week. First of all, he's officially informed in writing by the team about the fines for missing all of the practices and the meetings. So he responds by posting the team's letter on social media with this rambling, nonsensical, incoherent attempt at writing some sort of proverb. If you've read what he wrote over that fine letter and you can figure out what it means, please let me know. It was unintelligible or it was like intentionally secret cryptic something, but read it and tell me that you understand it. Then came Thursday with him threatening the general manager, Mike Mayock, screaming at him and screaming, find me, which by the way, the team went ahead and did again. Then on Friday, after we left here, Aaron, all right, he fake apologized to the team, remember? And then the team incredibly accepted the apology and said he was going to play against the Broncos tonight. Then, Friday night, this wingnut puts up a video with his coach secretly recorded in a telephone conversation with Brown, which, by the way, California is a two-consent state. You have to get consent on recording a, a telephone conversation. They could actually press charges. Gruden could press charges against uh, Antonio Brown. Then Saturday morning comes, and if you're following along with this thing, He Instagrams his desire to be released 
24 hours after the fake apology uh, to the team, and the team accepts him back. And the Raiders then accommodate that request, release him, and then a few hours after that, he's got a new deal with the Patriots. My God, was that an entertaining 48 hours last week. It ranks up there, honestly, with some of the all-time unstable, schizophrenic, uh, simultaneously outrageously selfish behaviors in the history of the league. I don't know if it was harmful to the league. I don't know if it was or, or if it was benign. Obviously, by the way, nobody's going to compare this idiot's behavior to like Ray Caruth's or yeah, take, or Ray Rice. Take that shit off or, the table. Or Aaron Hernandez. Or Any, Aaron Hernandez. Any, anything yeah. without legal issues. Exactly. Yes. All right. Those are different conversations completely. But what played out over the last month or so is the kind of thing that I think is really off-putting to many who love the league. In part because it did not end with some sort of um, commensurate punishment for the behavior. Instead, it ended up with him basically getting his way, getting out of Oakland, ending up with the gold standard team in the league, the Patriots. You know, even though he lost potentially, you know, $21 million, we've not seen the details of the contract yet. It does include a 2020 option for $20 million. Okay, but what we haven't seen, the, the yes. reports on this contract are, are what th- th- that says. They are reports. It doesn't get signed till today, and then you will see the actual contract and contract language. What we do know is that he lost by this entire you know charade and exercise. He's going to lose somewhere more likely than not this year between twenty-one and thirty million dollars. Okay, somewhere in that neighborhood. By the way, don't let that get in the get in the way of the perception that he won this. But most adult fans. I think don't like to see this behavior get, at least from a perception standpoint, you know, rewarded. You know, the Patriot thing, by the way, we talked about this. It was somewhat predictable. We talked about the possibility on the show Friday that he could end up with the Patriots. I don't think it's good for the league that it ended this way. I don't. I bet there was some hope in the league offices in New York that no no one would sign him. With that said, I'm not taking the Raiders completely off the hook. You know, the Raiders got what they deserved in many ways. A lot of people, you know, warned, you know, the Raiders that this guy, this is a guy that is, you know, egomaniacal, that he's deranged to a certain degree. And, you know, that deal that they signed him to started the wheels in motion on what, what turned out to be this incredible saga over the summer. The league's bulletproof. All right, we know that. All right, this is just going to turn out to be one of those sideshows that, you know, has already sort of been backseated because the games have started to a certain degree. Uh, I personally wouldn't bet one way or the other how it turns out in New England. It's the one team that could potentially make this work. Um, I think he needs meds. You know, I think he needs psychiatric mental health care. I really do. And maybe the Patriots are the team that's going to find that for him. You know, at the same time, you know, there is all this reporting post haste that he consulted with a social media expert, Aaron, to help find a way to get out of Oakland. Now, I, I'm not. I know you are, or, or you were yesterday because you and I were texting back and forth. I am not subscribing to this theory that this was the part of the, gra- the, the grand master plan from the beginning. 
I, I'm I'm kind of halfway between. I do think I think that the last few things. I think it was him trying to get out. The la- the the last few days. Yes. Yes. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, I don't mean from back in August. Okay. A lot of people think that this was somehow orchestrated. You know that that New England couldn't trade for him. The Raiders were the only one willing to give up whatever, or the, Pittsburgh wasn't willing to trade him to New England because New England reportedly offered Kevin Colbert a first round pick. Um, that somehow all of this behavior was leading up to an eventual situation where he knew he'd end up in New England. First of all, if New England tampered in this situation last week, I hope they get nailed to the cross for it. But I don't think this was part of a long-term grand plan for him. I don't think, I just don't think it is. First of all, the grand plan turned out to cost him, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood at minimum $21 million. Yeah. You know, in the short term anyway. I guess for me, it's did it start with the posting the letter? Was that the beginning, or was it just the slightly more recent? I think that as soon as the posting the letter, that was him trying to get out. Oh, I, I think that's what we learned is that yeah. the consulting on the social media thing was led to him posting that yes. nonsensical, incoherent message on the fine letter. Um, <laughs> but then, you know, the the, the video. Of the secretly recorded thing. Here's the it was other, amazing. Here's the other thing so about good. this. You know, uh, John Gruden, you know, going back to accepting the apology, laughing off the recording, saying uh, that may have been, um, what's his face? Um, the, Frank Caliendo. Frank Caliendo. To taking the major high road on Saturday when he said about Antonio Brown after it was all over and he had been released, Brown's misunderstood. He's a great guy. He wishes him well. I'll be honest with you. I would not have faulted the Raiders if he had taken a different path in that situation and really tried to protect his team's interests. I had Joel Corey, the agent, former agent, CBS Sports, you know, contract cap expert on the radio show this morning. He said the Raiders could have done multiple things that would have kept him away from landing with any other team and kept him from getting paid. They could have put him on you know, the reserve, non-reported pup list. Um, I think, personally, I think the Raiders could have pushed Roger Goodell to consider a suspension for Brown for violating the personal conduct policy. I'm not sure why the Raiders took the high road here. Uh, you know, they get nothing out of it. They took they, they they they. When I say they got nothing out of it, he ends up with a an AFC competitor for nothing essentially. As we know, I mean, we'll see what the the contract is. They 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 didn't have to give up picks or you know trade for him. Um, the Raiders were disrupted to to the you know the the nth degree over the summer because of this guy's behavior. They paid him some money already, uh, according to Corey. Because he was on the roster last Tuesday, they may have to pay him for week one, which would be no way in hell would he ever get that money from me. There's no way. The the options they had in lieu of cutting him perhaps could have made it more painful for him and protected their interests against him landing with another team. Um, I don't. I, I don't know. Uh, personally, I thought it was really a dangerous ultimate precedent that he set. Now, he is a whack job, and he is also simultaneously great as a player. Not good. The best of the last eight to ten years. Certainly top two or three. A massive impact, game-changing player. But, I don't know. I, I hate to see, ultimately... 
him, you know, rewarded's the wrong word. In the moment he got out of a situation he didn't want to be in, but it cost him a lot of money. You know, he had thirty million guaranteed. He ain't getting thirty million guaranteed right now. He's going to be on a year-to-year situation. Now he may get some signing bonus money from the Patriots. We'll find out when we see the contract. But I, I didn't. It was entertaining to watch. It was cringeworthy at times. It's also, you know, I don't think personally a great thing for the league ultimately. Um, and I think he needs help, serious help. I do not think that this was some sort of genius on his part. Uh, but how about the last video he put? I don't even know what he's posted since. I stopped paying attention to it once the game started on Sunday. But that video of him talking to his, reading the Adam Schefter tweet that the Patriots had signed him and he's got his grandmother on the phone and he's running out in the yard celebrating. My God, what a whack, you know, whack job completely. And apparently he's living in Tom Brady's house right now. Brady wants this. There you go. Let's finish up the show with a little around the NFL. The biggest plays and the clutch moments. It's time to go around the NFL. All right, let me just touch on a few of the games from yesterday. First of all, in the division, the Cowboys absolutely rolled uh, past the Giants, 35-17. Dak Prescott was 25-32 for 405 yards and four touchdowns. Uh, Zeke Elliott looked like Zeke Elliott. 13 carries, 53 yards, a touchdown. Uh, Jason Witten was back, caught a touchdown pass. At wide receiver, if you didn't know where Randall Cobb was, he's in Dallas. Four catches, 69 yards. Michael Gallup, the guy that they started to really like last year, who was that deep threat, seven catches, a buck 58. And Amari Cooper, six catches, 106 yards. Um, Dallas and Philadelphia, on paper, are the classes of the division. You know, you can talk up the Redskins' defensive talent all you want or the Giants' running back situation all you want. Saquon Barkley's brilliant. He was over 100 yards yesterday. Dallas and Philadelphia, if they stay healthy, should be the cream of the division uh, top by by far. Um, Impressive week one performance. Cowboys come here as five-point favorites. I can tell you already, I am almost positive I will be on the Redskins plus the five in the smell test. I did not give the Redskins out plus the ten in the smell test on Friday, but I told you I liked them. And in fact, my final score prediction of 22-17 was only 10 points off on each side. It was a five-point eagle win, uh, and it was 32-27 to instead of 22-17. to How about the Ravens yesterday and what they did? I don't – I'd love to see it against somebody else other than Miami, but Lamar Jackson threw five touchdown passes. He was 17 of 20. And then RG3 came in the game, went 6-for-6 six six and threw a touchdown pass. They were still throwing the ball up 52-10, to 10, by the way. Well, they ran a fake punt up 40 or whatever it was. Did they really? Oh, yeah. It was like 35 nothing, and they ran a fake punt at midfield. Wow. Yeah. But that's first half because they had 42 at halftime. Yeah, no, it was still first half, but it was... I think 35 nothing, and they ran it, leading to that 42-second score. Wow. I did not know that. I didn't know that they faked a punt. Here it is, direct snap, up 40. T- they were up 42-3. to three. Okay. No, 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 up 35-3. My fault. They okay. were up 35-3, to three and they faked a punt with 2.56 to go. It's still first half. I don't yeah, have a no, problem I, with that. I'm not, Yeah, no problem with it. It's just amazing yeah. that they were piling it on like that. Um, Clinton Portis told me Thursday night when I was with him, for the Channel 4 thing, he said Lamar Jackson's going to have a massive year. He's got him as a, his fantasy player. He thinks he could be a, an MVP candidate. And remember John Harbaugh said before the year, you're never going to see an offense like this. But we thought it meant Lamar Jackson running a bunch. He didn't run a lot yesterday. 
What they do have, though, is they've got Mark Ingram on their team now. And by the way, Hollywood Brown. Hollywood Brown. In his debut, four catches, 147 yards, and two touchdowns. If it wasn't for Kyler's comeback yesterday, he'd be the rookie story of the weekend. Yeah. Uh, and you know what? With that, I'll go to that because um, I watched the end of this game. Uh, the Kyler Murray comeback in his first game as the number one overall pick in the draft in Arizona against the Lions was unbelievable. Kyler Murray, through the first three quarters, was horrible. The offense in Arizona, horrible. Um, Murray, after the third quarter, went 15 of 19 for 154 yards and two touchdowns as he rallied Arizona from a 24-6 deficit to a 24-24 tie and overtime. Uh, Clint Kingsbury said after the game, and even Murray said they were just awful offensively through the first three quarters. It all changed in the fourth quarter. There was a very difficult play for the Lions um, late in regulation. Up twenty, uh, up 24-16, to 16, um, and Arizona ha- being out of timeouts, they ran a play um, that was a first down on a third and five. They would have been in position to run the clock out. But before the snap, Daryl Bevel, their assistant coach, was calling for a timeout. He's not even allowed to call for a timeout. It has to be the head coach. And they gave him the timeout before the snap. Stafford was really upset. He kept saying, trust me, trust me, I know what I'm doing. And he had completed the pass for a first down, would have ended the game. Instead, next play, incomplete. They punted, had the punt blocked. Arizona scored, went for two, forced overtime. And then a really interesting situation, which Cooley and I talked about earlier in the show, is Arizona in a 27-27 overtime game with a minute to go. Fourth and seven, they decided to punt. Ultimately, they had a chance with a dropped pick uh, interception in field goal range. But that's a crazy game. Maybe two, and I have not read this, Aaron. Three hours and 58 minutes was the length of that football game. I don't know this to be a fact, but I would think it's up there among the, the longest regular season games in NFL history. See that in college all the time? Rarely in the pros. Um, Last night, the Steelers' performance was the most gutless of the day. I don't know what they were doing. They looked completely out of it. Maybe it's no Antonio Brown. Maybe it's Antonio Brown going to the Patriots. But, my God, were they awful. And nothing indicated, you know, soft and gutless more than the opening drive of the second half. They're down 20 to nothing at halftime. They drive it all the way down to the uh, New England one-yard line. And on fourth and goal from the one, they kick a field goal. Unbelievable. Kicked a field goal on fourth and goal from the one down 20 to nothing. That doesn't even sound like Mike Tomlin or Ben Roethlisberger, does it? It's like the opposite of the of the Steelers last night. It was weird. What wasn't weird was were the Patriots. I mean, I it, when you watch them, how is it that, you know, Edelman is wide open on that little slant, that delayed slant every single time, or Burkhead? You know, runs, you know, and makes people miss and runs people over. I, it's unbelievable watching that team. It really is. And, and they've got deep threats like Josh Gordon and Philip Dorsett had, a, had a, two touchdowns in the game. 33-3, to the final score in that game. A um, couple of other notes. Uh, the Browns got absolutely crushed in the opener. I actually bet Tennessee didn't give them out as, as a smell test pick, but liked them right before kickoff. And Derrick Henry is really good. Um... The Vikings won in their opener with the oddest box score of the day. They they blew out the Falcons. They were up 28-0 at one point. They ended up winning 28-12. Kirk Cousins in the game, Aaron, 
He threw 10 passes. 8 for 10, 98 yards, a touchdown. A 140.8 quarter uh, passer rating, a 76.3 QBR. Now, he had multiple throws that resulted in either PIs or defensive holdings that don't get counted as a pass attempt, and there were pass attempts that were called back because of offensive penalties. But what they did yesterday is they ran the football 38 times and threw it 10, and Dalvin Cook had over 100 yards. And they didn't really have many snaps, period. 48 total plays. They had more snaps than that because they had a bunch of penalties. Um, But they dominated Atlanta uh, start to finish and one going away 28-12 to uh, in that game. Um, Rams beat the Panthers. Smell test pick uh, falls there. I had the Panthers plus one and a half. And I had the Jags plus three and a half against Kansas City. And Nick Foles got hurt early in the game. And Gardner Minshew, the quarterback from Washington State, rookie quarterback, came in and completed his first 13 passes in that game and went 22 for 25. He was a guy Cooley really liked in the draft when he was evaluating quarterbacks, um, and he came in and played really well. Uh, but good God, was Patrick Mahomes good th- good, good through th- for over 300 yards in the first half alone. The Jags did just trade for Josh Dobbs to back up Minshew going oh, forward. Oh, they did? Yes. Okay, so they're, they're going to be without Foles for a while. About half the season at least, yeah. it seems like. So there you go. Uh, they've got their backup for, um, for Gardner Minshew moving forward in Jacksonville. Uh, other than that, I mean, the Bengals were close at Seattle, had chances there. I mean, Andy Dalton had, I think, the biggest day he's ever had as a pro, 35 of 51, 418 yards. And, my God, Jameis Winston had the ball back down a touchdown and threw a terrible, terrible interception, and he threw three of them on the day. I've been a Jameis Winston fan. I, I don't know that it's ever going to happen. Uh, and it's too bad because he is talented, um, very talented. Um, all right, uh, last thing I'll leave you with is this. I, I mentioned on Friday to everybody that that 10-3 Green Bay game and everybody's saying, yeah, defense way ahead of offense, and everybody's trying to sound so smart. And I said, no, that's really not what, what it's been in week one in the NFL. Teams score. Um, yesterday, nine of the 13 NFL winners scored 30 or more. Two teams scored 40-plus, and one team, the Ravens, scored 59. Um the average points for the winning team yesterday, 32.7. The average points in the game, 51.3 in the games yesterday. So next year, remember after that Thursday night opener and it's, you know, 17-12 and all of the, you know, pundits start telling you how smart they are about defenses or way ahead of offenses this time of year, just say, well, wait a minute. It's actually not what's happened here the last several years. Um, lots of points scored uh, on opening day yesterday. And the Redskins got the backdoor cover at the end. So good for them. Uh, tomorrow, Tommy will be here. We'll get his thoughts uh, on everything. And uh, we'll work our way uh, through the rest of the week towards Dallas on Sunday. Uh, thanks to Cooley for joining us. Thanks to Aaron. Don't forget, iTunes, rate us, review us, subscribe. Doesn't cost you anything. And tell people that the show is also available at thekevinsheanshow.com.